I'm going to ask you to remain standing because we're family here at Northside, amen? amen? And the first three months that I was here, we did something every Sunday morning. We took a moment and we welcomed those around us. And some of you shook hands, some of you hugged necks, and I understand some of you may not be completely comfortable with this. And if that's you, I understand you can just keep your hands in your pockets. Uh, but we are family. And so I want to give you a moment before we continue in our worship service to welcome those around you. So say good morning. Let somebody know you're glad you're here. So you go ahead and do that for a moment. Welcome those around you. If you can make your way back to your seats and you may be seated. Some of you who went to the opposite end of the sanctuary, it'll take you a moment to get back, but if you'll go ahead and make your way back there. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, some of you, this is your first time with us. Maybe it's your second or your third time. Uh, just thank you so much for being here. You are our guest, and it's an honor and a, a privilege and a blessing to have you. Um, inside the bulletin, hopefully you picked one up on your way in, there's a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. Now look, I know you may be hesitant. Man, who all is going to see this information? It's, it's really just our secretary and, and myself and the two deacons who are going to count today. We're not going to give it out. We don't send it out so everybody can contact you. But it's a way to help me to learn names, uh, to, to know who was here for the first time. And it's a way just so we can pray for you. Um, there's, there's places for you to fill out if you want to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about you're looking for a church or a small group or whatever, we can reach out to you and answer any questions that you may have. So there is a box out there um, in, in the foyer, and so on your way out, you can just drop that in uh, the box. And so for the last year since COVID, that's how we've also been taking up the offering. And so I've been thinking... Do I want to go back to passing the plates, or does the box work? And, and for me, I think the box works. Some of you may like the plates, uh, but the box works. And so, church folks, if, I want to encourage you to give, and the box is out there, and sometimes the offering, it's like, okay, how do you actually make that part of the worship service? And so, I just encourage you to continue to give uh, through that means. One other thing that I had started to introduce a little bit that we kind of went away from is we were trying to kind of shorten our services, and some other things we'd put them in is, is praying the Scripture. Um, and so I want to I resume that this morning as well. And so this is going to be on the screen. Our scripture is Psalm 71, verse 23, and this is what it says. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. Now I chose this verse because it has the word redeemed in it, and that's going to be a critical part of the sermon this morning. But I also chose this verse because it says my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. You guys know today is Independence Day, it's the 4th of July, and we have a lot of reason to celebrate for the freedoms that we have in this country. Is our country perfect? No. Are there sins in the past that many of us are ashamed of, most of us are ashamed of? And yes, are there sins in our country right now that, that we're ashamed of? Yes. But this is still, I believe, the best country to live on, on planet Earth. And so as I lead you to pray in just a moment through this verse, 
I want you to give thanks and give praise to God for our country, but also more so for the freedom that we have in Christ, that he has redeemed us. And that's going to be the focus of the message. So take a moment where you are, just begin to think through this verse, offer up a prayer to God, and then I will pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship together. Father God, the psalmist says, my lips will shout for joy. God, at this moment, our lips are are being quiet, but I pray in our hearts we are shouting for joy. Shouting, God, just saying thank you for your grace, your goodness, and your mercy. The psalmist says, when I sing praises to you, Father, we have already sung praises to you. We're going to sing more praises unto you. Father, the reason we can sing and the reason we can shout is because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, first and foremost this morning, we want to be reminded of that, that our salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our kinsman redeemer. As we study your word this morning, as we see Ruth and Boaz, may it be a reminder to us as to how Boaz is showing us what it looks like for God to redeem his people. Father, at the same time, we want to be mindful of the freedoms that we have in this country. As we think about redemption and being set free, Lord, there are places all across our world, this this planet, that do not have the freedoms. They don't have the freedom to pray, the freedom to sing, the freedom to worship, the freedom to express their thoughts and their opinions. Lord, they don't have those freedoms. We know that those freedoms are ours because of the men and women who have who have risked nearly everything, some of them giving up their very life for those freedoms. So, Father, as we sing this morning uh, a patriotic song, My Country, Tis of Thee, Lord, that reminds us of our freedoms. God, I pray that, that we would, as we sing, be thankful, but offer that thanksgiving up to you as a sacrifice of praise. Because it's your goodness and your grace that has ultimately led to our freedoms. And Father, help us as Christians to use our freedoms so that we are pointing people to Jesus Christ, that we are going, and as we go, we are making disciples. So Father, this morning, may we shout, may we praise, may our hearts overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving, not only for our freedoms here, but the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And one day, We're all going to get to heaven through Jesus Christ. And the only reason we're there is because Jesus, you said we could come. So we plead your righteousness and your work for us upon the cross this morning. It is our only hope, our only hope. And we give you all the praise and the glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, would you stand? Let's continue to worship together. Land of the 
wonderful thing to know that in your heart you're going to the promised land someday, right? We thought we already lived there. Well, we don't. Let's stand together as we sing. remain standing and reading of God's Word, and take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, as we continue our study through this book. Ruth chapter 3, going to be looking at verses 9 through 18. Verses 9 through 18. This is the Word of God to us, beginning in verse 9. He said, that's Boaz, said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Redeem tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts right now. Oh God, remove any distractions from us. May we clearly see you and your glory in your word. 
may we know by the time this is over that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. May we trust in our Redeemer. May we not be afraid. May we not fret. May we wait patiently upon the Lord for your glory and your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One day in February 1832, a young theological student sat in his room at Andover Seminary. His name was Samuel Francis Smith. He was going over a sheaf of German songs for children given him by a friend. The composer was Lowell Mason. One particular song stuck out to Samuel Francis Smith. He glanced at the words at the bottom of the page, and his knowledge of German told him that the words were patriotic. But these words did not particularly appeal to him. He decided to write his own words. He searched around on his desk until he found a scrap of paper. And as he tapped out the rhythm of the music, he began to write, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. The front of your bulletin says, freedom is never free. Freedom is never free. And so as American citizens on this 4th of July, we celebrate our independence as a country. And we are grateful for that independence. Celebrate that today. Shoot off your fireworks before midnight, if you will, so some of us can sleep. Gather with family, whatever you want to do to celebrate. But I also want you to know this. As Christians this morning, we celebrate an even greater freedom that has been purchased for us by our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And that's going to be our focus this morning. And so as we work our way through Ruth chapter 3, I want to give you three words or three phrases to kind of guide us through it. Uh, the first one is a very important idea, so we'll spend several minutes on it this morning, and that is this, that of a Redeemer. A Redeemer. We begin here in verse 9. Hopefully you know the backstory of Ruth, right? Ruth is a widow. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, is a widow. No husbands, right? Naomi has no sons. It's just the two of them, and and they need somebody to provide for them and care for them. And so they got this plan. We talked about it last week, this risky plan. Ruth goes to Boaz and basically just says, hey, I'm available for marriage. You know, you're a redeemer. Will you marry me in essence? And we talked about how the ball is now in Boaz's court. And so before we see Boaz's response, though, I want to go back to what Ruth says, because it's really important that you understand this. She says, and he answered, I am Ruth, I am Ruth your, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer say that word with me redeemer redeemer a redeemer definition will be on the screen is one who frees or delivers or rescues another from difficulty or danger chapter 2 we see uh, this mentioned in verse 20 Naomi also said to her the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers it's mentioned here in verse 9 It'll be mentioned twice in verse 12, three times in verse 13, right? The Hebrew word here that is used is goel, goel. It means to redeem or to act as a kinsman. Very important word in the life of the Israelites. Daryl Block writes this, as a kinship term, so this word goel, as a kinship term, it denotes the near relative 
who is responsible for the economic well-being of a relative, and he comes into play especially when the relative is in distress and cannot get himself or herself out of the crisis. So Ruth says to Boaz, you are a goel. You are a redeemer. Now what in the world was the responsibility of a redeemer? Well, there were, there were many different roles, uh, redemptive roles that the redeemer could play. I want to highlight three of them for you as it relates to what's happening here. Number one is redemption of inheritance. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25. And I want to see, I want you to see how God, through a goel, has set up a system to provide for his people. The first way in which a goel could act redemptively was in the redemption of an inheritance or in property. And this will come into play next week as we get into chapter 4. Verse 25 says this. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So say a man got really poor, was having a hard time making ends meet. He could sell his property, in essence, selling his inheritance. And God had set up a way where a near relative, a goel, a kinsman, could come in and buy back that property for the one who had to sell it. So that was one way a goel would act redemptively, redemption of inheritance. And we'll see that next week with the land. There's another way, and that is redemption of a man's life. Same chapter, Leviticus 25, verses 47 through 49. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. Sometimes they fell on such hard times that they would have to sell themselves, sell themselves into slavery to help their family. God forbid, maybe they had to sell an own, their own family member into slavery. We see that some today, right, families becoming so poor, they are selling their children into situations that they are convinced will be better for their kids, but in reality, it's just sex trafficking. But they're desperate. And so some people become desperate. They sell themselves into slavery. So what happens? Then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him. So your brother could redeem you. Or if you didn't have a brother, an uncle or his cousin may redeem him. Or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. So not only could family or land be bought back, but so could a family member be bought unto their freedom, out of slavery, so they could return back to their normal life. That was the second part of a goel. But then there's a third part of a goel, and that is redemption of a man's family. Redemption of a man's family. Turn to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25. This is known as the leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. I remember first reading of this years ago, and I was like, leveret? That must have to do with Levi, the tribe of Levi. has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi. You say, what is, a, what is a leveret? Well, leveret comes from the Latin word lever, right? It just simply means brother-in-law. So your husband's brother. So God sets up this, this plan here for them. It says, verse 5, Deuteronomy 25, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Now look, i got to be honest. This just seems weird to me in 2021. Like, if I die... My wife may get remarried one day, especially if I die young. But if my brother marries her, 
that's just weird to me, right? It's just weird. But in this culture, it was a way to protect the family. How so? Continue reading. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Look at this. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother. See, people were concerned about their family name being continued. And so, if, if I die and my wife has no kids, right, my line, my name ceases. But if my brother marries her and then they have kids, that first child takes my name. So the line can continue, and then after that, future children would take his name. And so this was a provision of God given to the people to whereby widows in a male-dominated society could be cared for, you would think, by relatives who would love them and watch over them. So, Ruth is in need of a goel. A brother, a cousin, a near relative. And Boaz happens to be related to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, which means Boaz is what? An eligible Goel. He's a redeemer who can and who has the right to come in and redeem Ruth and provide for her to redeem the inheritance, to provide for her her future children in a name. He can come in and do that. So it is important to understand as we think about this that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Graham Goldsworthy in his book According to Plan says this, redemption as a release from slavery or from a position of misfortune now becomes one of the most significant themes in the Bible. You go back to Exodus when God delivers his people out of Egypt, right? He's redeeming them out of slavery. This theme of redemption continues into the Old Testament and to the New Testament. And he goes on to say this. In this regard, the book of Ruth provides an illustration as Boaz acts with kindness to perform the duty of a close relative to redeem. Here's what I want you to notice. In this story, you have a man and a woman, and Boaz is going to eventually redeem Ruth. But there is more at play here. This is really a picture of God's redeeming his people. More specifically, of Christ redeeming us, his bride. So Boaz becomes a kinsman redeemer, pointing us to Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer. And I'll flesh that out a little bit this morning and next week. Here's the second thing I want you to notice as we continue through our story. And I want you to notice the phrase, do not fear. Do not fear. Boaz responds to Ruth. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz is just like Ruth, but you could, there's a lot of young men, younger than me, you could have sought after them, but you didn't go after them, right? You didn't marry for looks or age or money. You, 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 you're approaching me. You understand that I'm a redeemer. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I believe Ruth probably needed to hear those words at that moment. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. You're reading this story. If you're reading it for the first time or say that you were to watch this on on the screen, it gets to this point, right? And you're like, yes, finally, we've waited this whole scene for Ruth and Boaz to come together. He's a redeemer, she's come to him, and he acknowledges, I'm a redeemer. We're like, yes, 
They're going to get together. Well, we keep reading. Boaz says this, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And now you're deflated. You're like, oh, we thought they were going to get together finally. And now there's somebody standing in the way. Uh, anybody in here uh, like Hallmark movies, Christmas Hallmark movies? Don't, don't be embarrassed. I watch some, not all, some Christmas Hallmark movies with my wife. If you have seen one Hallmark Christmas movie, you have seen all of them. <laughs> they all have the same plot. You're sitting there for like an hour and a half into a two-hour movie, waiting for it to unfold. They finally, there's a man and a woman, they finally come together. And you're like, yes, but you know what's coming. Plot twist. Something always interferes. Somebody had lied and the truth comes out or there's another person. Right? Something always happens. And for about three minutes, they separate. But you know in the last minute they're going to come back together and they're going to live happily ever after. I think they just copied the book of Ruth. Because we've been waiting. Finally, yes, they're going to come together. And then Boaz confesses something that we're not aware of yet, and that is there is someone who has first rights over me. There is someone who is closer to being a redeemer than I am. And Boaz, being a man of integrity, wants to make sure that's squared away before he pursues marriage with Ruth. And that's what happens in chapter 4. Verse 13, Boaz makes a promise. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then I, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz says these words to Ruth. Do not fear. I would imagine it's dark She's taking a great risk. She's probably afraid. She's probably nervous. She just poured her heart out to Boaz. Hey, I'm eligible. Marry me. And then Boaz says, do not fear. Why does she not have to fear? Because Boaz is promising her that one way or another, he's going to take care of her. Either he will redeem her, and if he can't, then someone else will. But that either way, her fortunes are going to change, and he is giving her this promise that he's going to care for her. Listen, this phrase, do not fear, I believe is what Ruth needed in this moment. And maybe it's what you need right now in your life. Maybe if you're honest this morning, you are afraid. Afraid of the direction the country is going, or afraid of what is happening in your family, or afraid of bad news, or, or you're worried and you're anxious about something, and you are afraid. Hear me, if you are afraid, you are not alone in that. It is amazing the number of times in Scripture that God says to someone, do not be afraid or fear not. He said it to Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Daniel, Joseph and Mary, do not be afraid. The shepherds, right, fear not. The apostle Paul, don't be afraid. Why did they need to hear the words, don't be afraid? Because in that moment, they were afraid. Church, hear me. The temptation for all of us is to live in fear. It's to be afraid. But through our Redeemer, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. Let me take you to Isaiah. I want you to turn there. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 2. And if you're someone who deals with fear, 
Maybe you're afraid of one thing. Maybe you're afraid of multiple things. I want to encourage you with all of my heart to take Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, and put them to memory. Spend however many hours it takes this week to memorize these two verses. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 says this, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. Stop there. Insert your name. He who created you, Aaron. He who formed you, Aaron. Your God is the one who created you. Your God is the one who formed you. Your God is the one who rules, who is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named. That is the God who created you. And then look at what it says in verse 2, continuing in verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen, church, we don't have to live in fear because we have a Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. And He has redeemed us. And Isaiah 43 says, not only has He redeemed you, but He has called you by name, and you belong to Him. Would you just let that truth wash over you this week? Hide that word in your heart. Man, know that God loves you, that He has sent Jesus to redeem you, that He has called you by name, and you are is Boaz provides these encouraging words to Ruth do not fear and this morning God says to us do not fear but there's a third phrase I want you to notice and that is sit still sit still we continue verse 14 so she laid his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another and he said let it be let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor what's he doing here that sounds shady I don't think that's shady at all I, I think Boaz knew what you and I know there's a lot of people who like to spread rumors and gossip. And so what, what Boaz is saying is for, the, for Ruth's safety, hey, just remain here. You're safe here. Nothing immoral happens here, but you're safe. And then he's going to have her leave before anybody else wakes up to begin to spread rumors that something inappropriate happened between Ruth and Boaz. So we continue. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. Notice his generosity. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, this is an interesting verse. She said, the ESV translates this Hebrew phrase, how did you fare, my daughter? But the literal Hebrew reads, who are you, my daughter? Who are you? The same question that Boaz asks Ruth, who are you? You're like, what? Man, is Naomi struggling with like dementia? Did she just forget who this was? No. If the literal Hebrew is to be translated, who are you? I think the question she's asking is simply this. Are you still Ruth the Moabitess, or has everything changed? Has Boaz pledged to be your redeemer? Who are you? What is your current circumstance? How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, check this out, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And you talk about the integrity of this man. He's not only concerned with Ruth, he's concerned with Naomi. He doesn't want Ruth to go home empty-handed to Naomi. And then, verse 18, she replied, ESV says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will set her, settle the matter today. The ESV says, um, Wait, my daughter. The King James Version says, Sit still. The New Living Translation says, just be patient. The Message Translation says, sit back 
and relax. Waiting is so hard, is it not? Can you imagine how anxious Ruth must have been to come home after the night she just had? She's probably wanting to know immediately. Like if she had her phone, she probably would have been constantly checking her text message, just waiting for that newest message to come in. What's happening? So what does, what does Naomi say? Hey, just wait. Just sit still. Waiting is so hard. I look at my five-year-old Malachi, and I'm like, dude, learn to be patient, man. Just wait. And then I look at my 14-year-old, and I say, dude, just learn to be patient. Wait, right? It's going to happen. It's going to be here. And then I have to look at my own heart. It's like, man, just learn to wait. I don't like to wait. Waiting on a delayed flight at the airport, waiting uh, at a restaurant, to the drive-thru, waiting on test results. I don't like to wait. I want to know immediately. I want to know what's the result, what's happening. It's hard to wait. And the temptation for us is always, when God calls us to wait, is to take matters into our own hands. We know waiting will always be better, but it's hard. And so sometimes we just say, well, I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure this happens quicker. But God calls us to trust him. So Naomi says to Ruth, wait or sit still. Listen to Exodus 14, 13 through 14. The people of God have been uh, released from Egypt. They're standing before the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is breathing down their neck. And Moses stands before the people and says this. But Moses said to the people, fear not. Yeah, right, Moses. We can't cross the water and they're going to kill us. You're telling me not to be afraid? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen to these words. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Naomi says to Ruth, sit still. Moses said to the people of God, stand still and be quiet and watch God do what he's going to do. Psalm 46, verse 10, we read, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Take your Bibles and turn to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, we see this word, waiting, appear. We're waiting on a lot of things. Man, it's hard to wait. But listen, listen to the promise that we have here in Titus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. The Word of God says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We are waiting on a lot of things. But what we're ultimately waiting on is our Redeemer and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says is coming again. Amen? He's coming for his people, and we are waiting for him. And while we wait, we don't have to fear. We don't have to take matters into our own hands because we are resting in our Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. And so until he comes, we can trust in him and his work. I told you that the Boaz is serving as a picture for us to our ultimately, ultimate Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. Let me, let me drive one more point home. And that is this. We have a Redeemer 
Because we needed a Redeemer. What does Ruth need right here? She needs a Redeemer. In her culture, and her day and age, she needed a kinsman, a near relative to come in and to redeem her. You and I need a Redeemer. We needed a Redeemer. Let me remind you of what a Redeemer is. It is one who frees or delivers or rescues another from difficulty or danger. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who sinned? All. It's all-inclusive. No one is outside of that. For all, for everyone, for each of us has sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, what you and I deserve, having transgressed and sinned against the holy God, is we deserve hell. Period. We are enslaved to sin, to Satan, and we are on our way to hell. We needed a Redeemer. We know, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, verse 24 says this, And we are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. We needed a Redeemer to rescue us from sin and to rescue us from hell. Jesus Christ came to do just that. He came to be our kinsman Redeemer, our elder brother who took on flesh, came and lived a sinless, perfect life and died for your sins and mine upon the cross, bearing the wrath of God, being raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, and He is coming again. That's the gospel. You need Jesus, period. Nothing else I can say, nothing else we do as a church is more important than you and everyone else knowing you need a Redeemer. So I, I came across a video two weeks ago that I have probably watched 10 to 15 times. I'm going to show it for you in just a minute. It's a, a short little clip from a sermon by Alistair Begg. Now, Alistair Begg is from Scotland, so he's got an accent, which just draws me in every time when I hear him preach. And he's a strong, expository preacher, loves Jesus, loves the gospel. And so he's, he's preaching a sermon, and within this, leading up to what I'm going to show you, he says that what you and I need to do every day is we need to remind ourselves of the gospel, that we need the gospel preached to us every day of our life. And the gospel is you can't save yourself. You needed a redeemer, and Jesus is that redeemer. And so this video is going to make you laugh. It'll make you giggle. It makes the people listen and giggle. But then there's a point that he drives home that I want you to see. So if you'll play the video.
thing when we all get to heaven. Every single one of us is going to stand before God one day as our judge. And your only hope of being ushered into the presence of God is because the man on the middle cross said you and I could come, period. Because he is our redeemer. He alone has redeemed us. Now the other stuff, justification by faith, the authority of Scripture, all of that is important for us to study and to know after we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the only way for us to be saved is through Jesus. Now here's what he goes on to say after this. He talks about that if you believe and if you answer that question, why should God save you? If the answer is I, I, and you think it's because of your good works, if you think it's because of what you have done, right? think of Ruth. There was nothing in Ruth that deserved for, her, for Boaz to redeem her. He does it out of grace. He does it because he's the kinsman redeemer. So if you think that God is going to save you because of who you are, he goes on to make the point that it leads you to one of two places. The first is despair. So if this morning, if I ask you, how do you think you're going to get to heaven and why should God let you in? If the answer is because of my works, because of what I've done, here's what I think is going on in your heart. One of two things, as he says, one is despair. You're terrified right now. You're afraid. There's no assurance in your life. Why? Because deep down, you know you're not good enough. You think you can measure up to the righteousness and the standard of God? You want to think you can, but in your heart, you know you don't measure up. So you're terrified that what happens if a car hits you and you die on your way home? Or you get cancer and you don't survive? There's no hope for you beyond this grave because your hope is in you and you know it's not enough. So it either leads to despair or it leads to a place of arrogance. That if you think God's going to save you because of your goodness, then you just think you're a whole lot better than everybody else. Like you think, hey, I'm good enough. I've done all that I need to do. And you're arrogant. And more than likely, your position in your heart is one of judging other people because you're better than them. Well, they just don't read their Bible like I do. They don't come to church like I do. They don't teach like I do. They haven't served as a deacon like me. Like, I've done all of this to offer up to God, and I know it's enough, and now I'm in a place of arrogance, in a place of pride. Church, hear me. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of standing before God. You want to know why? Because he has sent you a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And all you've got to do is take hold of Jesus. Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus you or Jesus plus this. It is Jesus, period. That's enough. And if you can't say he's enough, then you don't know Jesus. He's enough. But here's what I know. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how much I need him as my redeemer. And the more aware I am of my own sinfulness and how I fall short. So the message is simple this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Redeemer? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If Jesus is your Redeemer, then hear me. Do not fear and sit still and wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That doesn't mean you're just going to sit back and do nothing. It just means trust God. Let him lead you. You don't try to lead him. You're trusting in him. And if you don't know Jesus as Redeemer, please don't leave here until you talk to me 
and to make sure that you know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, as we come to this time of invitation, as we sing a song, as we give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel, Jesus, that you are our Redeemer. Lord, we see this beautiful picture of Boaz, who's going to redeem Ruth as we get into to the, to, to next week's chapter. Father, just as Boaz redeems Ruth, so Jesus, you redeem us. My hope is in you. End of the story. And God, if my hope is in you, and I believe that you are who you say you are, then God, that means I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to deal with let anxiety consume me. I can rest and trust in you. And in those moments when I find that fear beginning to take control, I can just once again come to you and say, God, help me. Give me what I need. Sustain me, Spirit of God. Father, we can also wait. Somebody this morning maybe is having to wait wait on a test result, they're waiting on a surgery, they're restless about this. Spirit of God, would you give them a peace that passes all understanding? Maybe somebody's waiting on a loved one to come to faith in Christ. Would help them not to give up, not to lose heart, but to keep praying, to keep sharing the gospel, to keep trusting in the one who can change and transform lives. Father, may we not lose heart, may we not give up. May we be more resolved than ever to live our lives as the light of the world, pointing people to the light, Jesus Christ, who is our rescuer and our redeemer. So Father, speak to our hearts now, I pray. And may we respond obediently. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. As always, the altar is open. I'll be here at the front. If you need me to pray with you as we sing, you respond. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. Let me just quickly go over some announcements. There's a lot uh, that's going on. There are still some of these tags for VBS out on the bulletin board. If you'll grab some of those, they're items that we need uh, for snacks. You can bring those, just bring them by Sunday, or you can bring them on Sunday as we get ready for that. Um, no activities tonight uh, or Wednesday night, so be aware of that. Bible school starts next Sunday. We have a ton of volunteers. Thank you for volunteering just be in prayer for our volunteers, for uh, the kids who are going to come. Want to be in prayer um, for them. On your way out, we had a lot of watermelons left over from our watermelon social. Uh, so I don't know, they're going to be out in the foyer. 
outside. Somewhere in the foyer or outside, you're going to find some watermelon. It's going to be cut up for you. So if you just want a slice of watermelon to eat while you're walking to your car, it is for you. We need to use it, right? We want to use it, be good stewards of, of these watermelons. So uh, it's available for you. One last thing. I mentioned it last week. Next Sunday morning, immediately following our morning worship service, we're going to go right into um, a special called church conference to vote for uh, the names of those on the, the search committee. So I'll explain that in more detail next week, what that's going to look like um, as we go through that. So uh, these are just people you need to be praying for uh, right now um, in that process. So we'll go over that next week. All right, our deacon of the week is Mr. Bill Morse. So Bill, if you will come, dismiss us with a word of prayer. Enjoy uh, your holiday today, uh, but give thanks to God for all that he's done. If you'll stand, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. God, thank you for another week where we can come to you in freedom and without fear to worship you and to honor you. Lord, we thank you for the great Redeemer, and we acknowledge, unlike Boaz, there is no one before you to wait for. You are our only Redeemer. And I pray as we leave this church this week that we live a life worthy of this redemption and we point others to you. Protect us, Lord, until we see each other again. In Jesus' name.